glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. All right, let's go to Genesis chapter 49 tonight. Genesis chapter 49. Ladies, thank you. Men, whoever were invo- was involved in all that meal downstairs, that was delicious. I don't know what all I ate, but it was all good. Amen? And uh, it was just excellent. I just thank the Lord for it. Thank you for all your labor. I know from pastoring and putting on missions conferences that there's tremendous amount of work involved in doing having a meeting like this and providing meals and, and all those different things, all the work that's already been done, preparation. and and uh, But thank God for people who are willing to labor. Amen? Just put their hands to the plow and go to work. And so it's good. Many hands make light, make light work. Amen. So thank the Lord for that. Looking forward to these days of this week. And let's pray that the weather behaves itself. Amen. And uh, uh, just pray that God will work and, and have his will and way. We'll trust that the Lord will work in this, in this time. Thank God for the young man who asked the Lord to save him uh, this morning. I remember the first time I preached for Brother Thaline over in Kalispell. It was on a Sunday morning. I was there to present the work and preach that morning. I don't remember what I preached. It was a missions message of some kind. But two teenage girls walked the aisle that morning. And thank boy, it was just exciting to see that. Those girls had been coming there for, for weeks. They'd been coming. They'd been hearing Brother Thaline preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel. People praying for them, befriending them. And I got to come in and preach, and they walked the aisle. Wow. I thank God for those who put their labor in those people before I got there. Amen. Didn't have anything to do with me anyway. But I'm glad to see that young man get saved this morning. What a blessing that is. Genesis 49. Let's stand one more time tonight, if you will. Because I know you've already eaten and you're going to go to sleep in about five minutes. So we'll keep your attention here while you're standing anyway. I remember in our home church in Indiana one time we had an invitation, pastor preached, and, and we had several people coming in at that time, new uh, visitors coming, and there was a young man, he was standing over to my right, the pew in front of me, and uh, pastor preached, and then he gave the invitation, that, man, that young man's standing there, and he's got his eyes closed, and all of a sudden he just flopped over the pew in front of him and hit the floor uh, down there. He just, he just fell asleep while he was standing there during the invitation. He's gone, but I hope you don't do that tonight, amen. All right, Genesis chapter 49, beginning in verse 1. We'll read through verse 8. And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel. Because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, then defilest thou it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi our brethren, instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. O my soul, come not thou 
into their secret, unto their assembly. Mine honor, be not thou united, for in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they digged down a wall. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies, and thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, again tonight for your blessings to us, your goodness, your grace. Thank you for our precious Savior tonight. Thank you for the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. Dear Lord, we thank you for the blessed Word of God before us this evening, your eternal Word, your Word that is quick, it's alive and powerful. And oh God, tonight I pray that you would use the preaching of your Word to speak to our hearts. And may, Lord, we receive it not as the words of men, but as it is the Word of God. I pray, Holy Spirit of God, grant us liberty, direct our words, our thoughts, please, tonight. Help us, and Lord, help us to receive what you have for us. We'll thank you for it, in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I want us to think tonight about this passage of Scripture and try to glean some things that I believe will help us this evening. Pastor Nevin said this morning in the Sunday school hour, and it's funny, We had not talked about this, but I had been thinking and praying for the last couple weeks how to, what messages to bring during this missions conference. I go to churches, invited to churches, and preach on the subject of missions, and sometimes those churches have never been involved in missions at all. It's brand new to them. They've never supported a missionary. They've never sent money to a missionary. They've not prayed for missionaries. They have no missionary letters on their board. And so uh, the challenge there is to try to introduce missions and what it is, the doctrine of missions and so on. Uh, But as your pastor said this morning, your church is not at that level. You understand what missions is. You understand the need. You understand involvement. You've been involved. You are involved, not only locally, but in, in faraway places, and uh, this, this church has a heart for missions. And so it, it, it is a different, a different challenge to come and preach. And, the Lord, and I'm glad the Lord already knows what everybody needs, amen, including myself. And, and so, but tonight I believe this is a message that I believe can speak to our hearts at the place where you are as a church tonight that will be a help to us. I really believe that. And so I want us to look at this passage of Scripture tonight. I want to give you a statement, and I'll make this statement more than once, but I want you to remember this statement in light of this passage of Scripture tonight. I want you to think about this. Our performance in the family will determine our position in the kingdom. Now think about that. Our performance in the family will determine our position in the kingdom. You know, the Bible teaches us that one day, Jesus Christ is going to come back to this earth. He's going to set up his kingdom, 
And he's going to sit on the throne of David, his father, and rule the world from Jerusalem for a thousand years. I have no doubt in my mind that's what the Bible clearly teaches. It also says that you and I who are saved are going to come back when he comes back, Revelation chapter 19, and that we are going to rule and reign with King Jesus. That's our future. If we are saved tonight, you as a part of the family of God will one day come back when Jesus comes to set up his kingdom on this earth and you and I are going to rule and reign with him. I think the little phrase, one of the verses says, he that is faithful in that which is least will be given much. I believe the things that we do in this life now, the the performance that uh, we have in the family of God now will determine our position of ruling and reigning with Christ in his kingdom in the future. So I want you to keep that in mind tonight as we look at this passage of scripture. The setting here tonight in Genesis chapter 49 is a is a deathbed setting. Jacob is on his dying bed. He's called all of his sons in. He has 12 sons. They're all named in this chapter. We didn't take the time to read them all. But he calls them in and gathers them in because he tells them that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last day. And what Jacob is about to do is he is about to prophesy unto his sons what they are going to become and what is going to be in the future, not only for them, but for their heirs, their children, their grandchildren, great-grandchildren. And if you would read, as you read the Old Testament, you'll find that these prophecies that Jacob gave to his 12 sons in Genesis 49 are played out and recorded in the Word of God throughout the Old Testament. You see how these different sons and their families, which are the 12 tribes of Israel, how what Jacob said about them played out uh, in their future. And so I want you to realize Jacob here, he's 147 years old. He has spent the last 17 years of his life living in the land of Egypt uh, with Joseph, his son. Joseph now, who is the prime minister of Egypt, is 56 years old now. Benjamin, who's the baby of the family, is now 39. But Jacob here realizes he's dying. And as he is on his deathbed, one by one, son by son, he begins to sum up their lives, who they are and what they are, and then tells them how that is going to determine what's going to become of them in the future. Now, as we look at this and examine this a little closer, we find that this deathbed scene, this this room there where Jacob is dying, 
actually becomes a judgment hall. You see that Jacob is pronouncing judgments, good and bad, on these sons. And as a judgment hall here, Jacob is not only sitting on his dying bed, but his dying bed has become his judgment seat. And so these sons are gathered around their father in this judgment hall around Jacob's judgment seat. And as we look at this, I want us to consider how we see a picture of what it's going to be like for us when you and I appear at the judgment seat of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you will, hold your place here for a moment. I want to refresh our minds in Second Corinthians chapter 5. You'll be familiar with these. We'll just read them and move on. But I want you to see what the Bible records concerning the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is going to be attended by only by those who are saved, been born again into the family of God. Just like Jacob's 12 sons gathered around him, my friends, it's only going to be the Lord's family that will be gathered at the judgment seat of Christ. There will be no lost people there. It will only be the blood-washed, redeemed children of God. If you're saved, you will be at the judgment seat of Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, the Bible said, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body. Notice that. We're not going to be judged for whether we're saved or not. Only the saved are there. We are going to be judged for the things done in our bodies since we were saved, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We are made manifest unto God. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. I want you to notice Paul here says, but we are made manifest unto God. In other words, at the judgment seat of Christ, everything about our lives is going to be exposed by God. Amen? Everything, good or bad. He references this scenery, this judgment seat, as the terror of the Lord. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 3. Let me read this passage real quick, and then we'll go back to Genesis 49. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Look, if you will, there for a moment. Verse 11. The Bible said, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. For if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, He shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, 
yet so as by fire. The judgment seat of Christ, our works are going to be judged, going to be tried by fire. They're purified or destroyed, one or the other. Nobody will become lost at the judgment seat of Christ. Some will be saved only as by fire, but they'll be saved. And some will receive rewards and some will lose their rewards. Remember, our performance in the family will determine our position in the kingdom. Now let's go back to Genesis 49. And I want us to look here tonight in in trying to get a glimpse of what it's going to be like at the judgment seat of Christ for you and I. One day... We are going to give an account to God for what we did with our lives once we got saved. Now, the truth of the matter is, I could have, I could have entitled this message tonight, Missions is Your Choice. You want to get involved in missions? That's your choice. If you don't want to be involved in missions, that's your choice. You want to pray for missionaries around the world? That's your choice. If you don't want to pray, that's your choice. If you want to maintain where you are in the matter of missions and your involvement, that's your choice. If you want to abound yet more and more, that's your choice. If you want to give, that's your choice. If you want to go, that's your choice. But one day we are going to face the judgment seat of Christ with the choices that we make. That's not a choice. That's already set in stone. That is going to, we must all appear at the judgment seat of Christ. I said this judgment seat of Christ is a family affair. Just like Jacob's sons gathered around his dying bed, that was a family affair. Affair. And I want us to look at just three of these sons, well, four actually, four of these sons we've just read about, uh, and, and see what kind of family members are going to be represented at the judgment seat of Christ. Think about this. Notice, if you will, first of all, he says in verse 4 or verse 3, He begins with his eldest son, the firstborn son. He says, Reuben, thou art my firstborn. In other words, he establishes the fact that Reuben has a position in the family. He has a position. That cannot be changed. Reuben is the firstborn son son of the family. He declares his position. And then he says, Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity, and the excellency of power. There I find that he establishes not only the position of Reuben in the family, but the possibilities that Reuben has as a member of the family. Reuben, you're my firstborn. So you have the potential and you have the possibility of being my might and being 
the beginning of my strength and the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. That's your, that's the possibilities, Reuben, that you've had as my firstborn son. You ever think about the possibilities that we have being in Jesus Christ tonight as the children of God? You ever think about what could God do with my life? What could God do? Think about that tonight. Then I want you to notice the next verse. And it's like Jacob is looking at Reuben. And it's like he can look right through him. And he can read him like a book. And he says, after he declares the possibility, the potential that Reuben had as being the firstborn of the family, he said, unstable as water. I can just picture Reuben in my mind when Jacob says, oh, Reuben, you're my firstborn. And you, oh, you, you are my might and my, the beginning of my strength and the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Can't you just see Reuben straightening up and kind of sticking that chest out a little bit and maybe getting a little puffed up and looking around at his brothers and saying, look at me. But then Jacob says, unstable as water. Thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed. Then defilest thou it. Then he looks around the whole room and says, He went up to my couch. Says it to all of them. Here I find He not only declares Reuben's position in the family and his potential in the family, but he declares Reuben's performance in the family. Reuben, the perverted one, that's what we can call Reuben tonight. He's the perverted one. Reuben, about 40 years earlier, had went in unto his father's concubine, if you please. His wife, Rachel, had a handmaid that had children by Jacob. And after Rachel's death, Reuben, the oldest son by one of the other women in the family, went into his own father's wife. Perverted Reuben. A member of the family, and yet a perverted member of the family. Reuben, you're guilty of fornication. You're guilty of adultery. By Bible definition, Reuben, you're guilty of incest. A member of the family. what the Bible says. What kind of people are going to be found at the judgment seat of Christ? People that are members of the family 
but people that lived perverted lives as the people of God. Living lives to satisfy their own lust. Living lives to satisfy the spirit of that firstborn son, which always represents the sin nature. Reuben, your performance in the family, not your position in the family, your performance in the family is, has determined your position in this Old Testament kingdom of the history of Israel. You're unstable as water because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, then thou defilest it. He went up to my couch. How we need to get a hold of this truth. Our performance in the family of God. How we live. Doesn't determine our position in the family. Jesus Christ and his shed blood has determined our position. We're saved by the grace of God. We're kept by the power of God. But our performance, how we live after we're saved, will determine our, our position in the future, how we're going to be able to serve with our Lord Jesus Christ in his kingdom. Reuben had a terrible failure. You know the sad thing about Reuben? His perversion, you know what? A child of God can sin just as easily as a, as a, as a sinner that's lost. But in 40 years, there's no record of Reuben ever coming back and saying to Jacob, Father, I sinned greatly. I sinned against you. I sinned against Bila. I sinned against my half-brothers who were the sons of Bila. I've sinned against my entire family. Father, I've sinned. Would you forgive me? In 40 years, he never, never confessed his sin. Never ask forgiveness. You know what? It's possible for a child of God to live such a life and go to the judgment seat of Christ and lose everything except their soul and have nothing. Nothing. All burn up. No privileges in the kingdom because they wasted their life on themselves. Reuben's sin was a secret sin. But then when it's recorded in the word of God, the Bible said in, in Genesis chapter 35 that Reuben had went into Billah, his, his father Jacob's wife, and Jacob knew it. Oh, what Reuben did, he thought he did in secret and nobody else knew about. But Jacob, Knew it. No matter how we live, my friend, the Bible makes it clear what's done in the dark will be shouted from the housetop one day. We're going to give an account to God. And so I find at the, at the judgment seat, there's the perverted ones like Reuben. And then look, if you will, at what I call the proud ones. The proud ones. Look, if you will, 
in verse 5. Number two, do you imagine by now these boys are getting a little nervous? I mean, Dad has just let the hammer down on Reuben. He's just pulled the curtain back. Too late to say I'm sorry. Too late to say I wish I'd have done different. Too late. And now it's just judgment time. And so he looks at Simeon and Levi. I wonder if Levi and Simeon were able to look back at him or had they had to look down because they knew what their lives were like. He says, Simeon and Levi are brethren, instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. Oh, my soul, come not thou into their secret. Unto their assembly, mine honor, be not thou united. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they digged down a wall. Jacob is going back in time to an incident that happened involving Simeon and Levi, his two boys. Again, he declares their position in the family. They're his sons. They had a baby sister, the only girl in the family. Her name is Dinah. And Dinah decided one day she had these 12 brothers and she wanted to go out and see the daughters of the land and she meets a young prince in the country of Shechem. And this young prince took advantage of her, defiled her. She comes home and somewhere or another, Simeon and Levi find out what's happened. The honorable thing to do is, is what this young prince decided to do. He'd sinned, he'd done wrong, but he wants to make it right. And so he offers to take Dinah's hand in marriage. So he speaks to her family members. They come to an agreement. We'll let you marry our daughter Dinah, but we got one, one stipulation. You all, all you men of Shechem must be circumcised. Enter into the covenant relationship that we have with our God. And they agreed. We'll do it. And so, They make the agreement. No doubt they made some kind of covenant agreement there. And so those men of Shechem, including that young prince, go home and allow themselves to be circumcised. Surgeries performed. Then Simeon and Levi, these two men are proud. Their baby sister has been disgraced. Their baby sister has been defiled. Their baby sister has been shamed. And now they're going to get even. Because not only had their baby sister been shamed, but it brought shame on them. It brought disgrace on these brothers. And their attitude, no doubt, was we are not going to let this guy get by with this. And so when those young men of Shechem, those men were circumcised, Simeon and Levi come in and in cold blood murder every single one of them. Killed them all. 
while they're down recovering from surgery, they took advantage of those men and killed every single one of them. That's what Jacob's referring to. Now, what they did, they did, number one, in pride. Number two, they did it publicly. They weren't even ashamed of it. At the end of that chapter, where that story is recorded, they say, hey, basically they said, listen, they got what they had coming to them. We don't care if it was cold-blooded murder. We don't care if it did break our sister's heart. We don't care if it did break the, the covenant agreement that was made with our family. They had it coming. We're going to get them because they made us look bad. Instruments of cruelty. These guys were liars, deceivers, and murderers. You know, that's what pride turns us into. You know what pride does? Pride can get to the point it doesn't care who it hurts as long as it protects itself. It doesn't care how low it stoops as long as it protects itself. What kind of people are going to be at the judgment seat of Christ? People that are saved. They have a position in the family, but they've allowed pride to dictate their lives. Because of their pride, they're not willing to keep their word. Because of their pride, they're willing to hate others to the point of murdering them in their heart. Because of their pride, they're willing to do whatever it takes to make sure I stay on top. Amen. Their performance in the family determined their position down the road. You follow these men. And Jacob said, this is not going to be good. It's not going to turn out good for you boys because of the way you've lived. And so I find the judgment seat of Christ, there's the perverted ones like Reuben. There'll be the proud ones like Simeon and Levi. Then, thank God, we look at Judah. The Bible said in verse 8, Judah, Thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be in the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Do you know which one of these tribes Jesus is from? The tribe of of Judah. He said Judah is a lion's whelp. Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. He said Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey, my son. Thou art gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as an old lion. Who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah. The messianic line of Jesus Christ come through the tribe of Judah. Nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. That's in reference to Christ. He said, binding his foal unto the vine and his ass's colt unto the choice vine. 
Notice this. He washed his garments in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine and his teeth white with milk. Now let me tell you a little bit about Judah. Knowing the story of Judah, I I can't imagine Judah being anything but an absolute nervous wreck about now. It's Judah's turn. I mean, he's pulled the curtain back on Reuben and his secret sin. He's he's declared the, the, the cruelty of the public sin of Simeon and Levi. And now he's come to Judah. Judah was the brother that suggested that Joseph be sold into slavery. It was Judah's idea. And that led to Joseph spending those years in Egypt. It was Judah who married a Canaanite woman, a heathen, against the word of God. It was Judah that married a Canaanite woman. It was Judah that had four sons, and two of them, the first two, were so wicked and so vile and so corrupt that God himself killed them both. Quite a failure as a father. It was Judah in his later years when his daughter-in-law was a widow And she dressed up like a prostitute on the side of the road. Judah paid his own daughter-in-law thinking she was just a strange prostitute to spend the night with her and later got discovered. I mean, Judah was vile. Judah was wicked. Judah was filthy as a son in the family. But not one word comes from Jacob's lips concerning the filthiness, the vileness, and the wretchedness of Judah. It's nothing but praise and honor and glory and words about the kingdom to come that you and I are going to rule and reign in. He said, Judah... Your performance in the family has determined your position in the kingdom. You say, but wait a minute. He was just as filthy and vile as the other three. But there's a difference. And you go back a few chapters when Joseph, when his brothers have been brought before Joseph and they still don't know who Joseph is. And God has brought them to a place where he wants them to get right with Joseph and come clean before Joseph It is Judah that appeals to Joseph. It's Judah that gets honest before Joseph. It's Judah that confesses, we've sinned, we've deceived, we've lied, we're guilty, have mercy on us. It was Judah who confessed his sin and repented before Joseph, who's a picture of Christ, and sought forgiveness. That was the difference between him and his brother. At the judgment seat of Christ, my friend, we're all going to go there with guilt and shame and sin in our lives. 
But what we did with that during our lifetime, did we try to hide it, thinking God didn't know and never repent of it, never seek God's forgiveness? Did we stay proud of it and say, I did it, but I, I should have done it. I had a right to do it. And go before God one day, defiant over our sin, justifying our disobedience to God and our sin, never seeking God's forgiveness, or be like Judah, who had a lot of garbage on his record, made a lot of mistakes, made a lot of wrong choices, but came to a place of regret and sorrow and shame and confessed his sin before God and sought forgiveness and mercy and got it. So that when he stands before his father, there's no mention of his sin. It's all been covered up. It's gone. It's not on the record. Thank God for the power of the blood of Christ. We need to decide, how do I want to stand as a member of the family of God at the judgment seat of Christ? Do I want to stand in my perverseness, in my hidden sins, unconfessed? Do I want to stand in my pride, in my defiant spirit before God, unconfessed? Or do I want to stand with a lot of regrets in my life and a lot of I wish I'd never done that and knowing that I sought God's forgiveness and came clean before God and sought his mercy and his grace and got it. Judah got the best position of everybody in the family. Outside of Joseph, Judah had the best position in the days ahead. You know who's going to have the best position in the kingdom of God when Jesus rules and reigns on this earth? Those, not those that lived a sinless life. None of us are going to do that. But those that when we did sin, we came to God with our shame and our sin and sought his forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? But it's just like the whole matter of missions. Living our lives the way we do is our choice. We have the position. We are the sons of God. We have the potential in Christ Jesus. Amen. But we also have the choice. What are we going to do? We better remember, no matter what choice we make, we do not have a choice of whether we're going to stand for the judgment seat of Christ or not. We must all appear at the judgment seat of Christ. We will not choose our position in the kingdom. The Lord will choose our position based on our performance in the family. Mm-hmm.